My dad used to say I didn't quit drinking. He said, I just changed fountains. Just changed fountains. I like that. I like that song. I believe that's still in the book. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things become new. I know that we grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I understand that. But I'm telling you, that's positionally when we get in Christ, all things become new. I was listening to the men this morning testifying about their salvation experience, things that God did for them when they got saved. I tell you, I enjoyed that immensely. I wish you could have been here and heard the different men of God tell about when God saved them and how God called them to preach. You know, I, I didn't say this, but I got three haircuts in one weekend. Got three haircuts in one weekend. I quit smoking. I took off my turquoise necklace, my turquoise rings, and I took off my platform shoes, my bell-bottom breeches, went back to work on Monday morning carrying a King James Bible, and they said he's got a hold of some bad dope. They said he has really got a hold of some bad stuff. You know what they said? They said, he'll be back. They said, he'll be back. They said, give him three, three or four weeks and he'll be back. Come August the 8th, 1976, and when it comes up here on August the 8th, 1976, 25 years, I believe they've quit looking for me by now. I believe that crowd quit looking for me to come back. Glad there's been a change. I appreciate so much this this ministry. I appreciate this church with all of my heart. And uh, if you want to swap places with me, I'll be glad to let you do it. I'm as nervous as a, a cat at a rocking chair convention. I'm telling you, seriously, this is a lot of pressure on the man. This thing's 40 miles high, and people are enjoying themselves. And I've tried to pray and seek the Lord's face about the right message. I said, Lord, don't let me preach the message. I want to preach, but let me preach what you know that your people need to hear. And I want to say thank you to Dr. Brown for inviting us to come. I appreciate this church. They support us monthly, on a monthly basis in evangelism. And I appreciate that from the depths of my heart. appreciate the motel accommodations. You talk about being blessed. I got there at the motel and I was checking in. And uh, the Lord knew I needed a little help there. And I got in. Nice motel. Very nice. man standing there in a pair of blue jeans and a work shirt. And I checked in and uh, the lady said, who are you? I said, I'm with Victory Baptist Church, Evangelist Buster Seat, and I think you have a reservation. And she said, we sure do. We've got your room. The man looked at her and said, uh, what room do we have him in? She said, it's upstairs. And uh, it's a nice room. And that man said, uh, don't we have a room with the jacuzzi? Don't we have a master suite? And uh, I said, I hope we do. And uh, And you know what? She, he said, how much are we charging for that room and upstairs? And she said, a certain price. He said, how much is that one downstairs with the jacuzzi and the master suite, the business suite? She said, $145. He said, give that preacher that room. And uh, I said, ma'am, do you mind telling me who this is? She said, he owns this motel. He owns this motel. And uh, I, I turned and, and I looked at him and I said, I, there was tears in his eyes. He said, have you ever, where are you from? I said, Knoxville, Tennessee. He said, have you ever preached up around Johnson City, Tennessee? And I said, yes, sir, I have. He said, my dad used to be an old-fashioned Baptist preacher in that area. And he said, I wish you'd pray for my business. And that man was really, really been good to me. And I've been praying. I've been in that jacuzzi eight times. Eight, I'm about waterlogged. I have just been in and out, in and out. And... uh <laughs> 
Amen. Hey, if you'd have stayed where I stayed just a few days ago, you'd have been glad to have been in there. I was in a motel that was built in 1917. They remodeled it in 1920. And uh, I'm glad to be where I was at. I appreciate it. And when I got to the room, you know what he did? He hauled all of my stuff down there. The manager was pushing my, my the cart down there. And he helped me unload my clothes. He went upstairs and got not a basket, but a tub. It's a tub. And in that tub was all kinds of goodies. I mean, everything in the world that a man could use on the road. And I want to say to the ladies and whoever was responsible for that, thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, I, tr- I trust tonight that you'll pray. This may not be a high message. This may not be a real glory message. But I feel definitely impressed with the Holy Ghost that it's the needful message for tonight. And uh, I don't want to try to take the glory away from anybody. I pray by Friday night, tomorrow night when Brother Steele preaches, Thursday night when Brother Maccabee preaches, I pray she just climbs higher and higher. And Friday night, I pray that the flaps fly out and the, man, the, the tent about closed down. And you have a great meeting. But tonight, I want you to take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Exodus. And I want us to look in chapter number 15 here. Exodus chapter number 15. This is something that God has recently worked in my heart. And uh, it's something that I feel like that maybe God can use to be a blessing. A lot of the people of God that I'm preaching to are going through trials. They're going through testing. They're going through situations that they never, never thought that they'd ever have to go through. And if some of us would be honest, we're facing things that we never thought we'd have to face. There's pastors here tonight that are facing things in the ministry that they never thought they'd ever have to face. And I believe there's some help for us here in the book of Exodus, chapter number 15. Notice in verse number 22, the Bible said here in Exodus chapter 15, verse 22, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. Now with the help of the Lord tonight, And just for a few minutes, as the Lord would enable me, I want to preach on the ministry of Mara. The ministry of Mara. Now, to bring, you say, preacher, everybody knows this. Well, there's always people under the tent in our churches. Sometimes we take it for granted that everybody knows everything about the Bible. But I want us to bring us up to date with where we are in Exodus chapter 15. When you come back to Exodus chapter number 12, most of you remember that Israel has been in Egyptian bondage for over 430 years. It's there that God has raised up a deliverer by the name of Moses. Moses has came before Pharaoh now time and time again and said, let the people of God go. God had brought plague after plague upon the Egyptians. And finally, it's in Exodus chapter number 12, that God told Moses, he said, you tell Israel to take a lamb. Take that lamb and put it up on the tenth day of the month. Keep it until the fourteenth day of the month. And then the whole assembly shall kill the lamb in the afternoon. Then there's to take the blood, put it on the doorpost and on the lintel. Then they were to bring the lamb on the inside, roast it with unleavened bread, and to eat it with bitter herbs. And they were to do that as they ate it with bitter herbs. No doubt that brought tears to their eyes, reminding them of their past bondage. And God said in Exodus chapter 12, verse number 13, 
And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Now, for a long time, I thought that meant when they put the blood on the doorpost and on the lintel, that when God came down through the land that night at midnight, when He saw the blood, that He would pass over that house and go to the next house and the next house. But in Exodus chapter number 12, if you'll notice in verse number 23, the Bible said, For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when He seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in under your houses to smite you. The word Passover there is the word Pascha. And it meant literally that the Lord would stand guard. That God would stand guard where the blood was and He would not let the destroyer come in. I'm glad tonight that as a child of God, by faith, the blood has been applied to the doorpost and the lintel of my heart. And God will never allow the destroyer to have my soul. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. It's in this chapter that we find. I want you to see this in verse 37 of chapter 12. And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 on foot that were men besides children. Now, I want you to get that in your mind. There's 600,000 men, not counting the children. Nothing is said about the women. Someone has estimated there's between a million and a half to three million Jews that, that are coming up out of Egypt. You'll notice in verse 38, there was a mixed multitude went up also with them, and flocks and herds, even very much cattle. So needless to say, there's a great host coming up out of the land of Egypt. I see senior saints. I see women that are carrying little babies. I see young families. I see mothers and dads and teenagers. And then there's flocks and herds as they're coming up out of the land of Egypt. If you'll notice in chapter number 13 very quickly, verse number 21, the Bible said, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. Now this is the visible manifestation of the presence of God. That pillar of cloud was out there by day, a pillar of fire by night. And if you'll notice in chapter number 14, that's the chapter where they come down to the Red Sea, and God has hardened Pharaoh's heart. It was in chapter number 12 that Pharaoh said, Moses, after the death of the firstborn, that I mean from the firstborn of Pharaoh, all through the land where the blood was not applied, the firstborn died. Pharaoh said, take them, get them out, take your people and go and get out. But God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And Pharaoh had a change of mind. And as the children of Israel came to the Red Sea, there's a mountain on this side, a mountain on that side, and behind them, Pharaoh and his army was coming to apprehend them. And it's in chapter 14, verse 13, that Moses said unto the people of the Lord, Stand ye still and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will show you today. 
For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. And Moses stretched out that rod. God caused a strong east wind to blow all that night. And God parted the Red Sea. Now the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud came between the children of Israel and the Egyptians. The Egyptians are hot on their trail. But you see, it was a pillar of cloud or a pillar of darkness to the Egyptians. They were confused. They couldn't find the children of Israel. But it was a pillar of fire or a pillar of light that showed the Israelites the way across the parted waters of the Dead Sea. And I want to tell you something, that was dry ground. My King James Bible said it was dry ground. I don't believe it was muddy. I don't believe it was marshy. I believe it was dry ground, friend. I read one day where a liberal theologian said it was not the Red Sea, but it should have been pronounced the Reed Sea. And that liberal theologian said it was only ankle deep water. I thought, well, what a great miracle. God drowned all of Pharaoh's army and Pharaoh himself in ankle deep water. It wasn't ankle deep water, friend. God parted those waters. The children of Israel went across. Then that pillar of cloud, pillar of fire began to move and begin to go toward the Red Sea bank. And Pharaoh and his army entered in unto the Red Sea. They saw the way the children of Israel were going. You know what God did? And I find this a little humorous in chapter number 14. The Lord in verse 25, the Bible said God took off the chariot wheels that they drave them heavily. I mean, God, you've seen air wrenches, haven't you men? You men that work with cars and things, you have your air wrench and you go zip, 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 and bring off that wheel, don't take no time at all. I can just see God Almighty maybe inhale. And when He inhaled, every lug nut fell off, and those Israel, listen, those Egyptian wheels fell off, and all of a sudden they knew they were in trouble. And they tried to get out, and Moses stretched his hand over the Red Sea, and the waters came back together, and God drowned Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And the Bible said in chapter 14, in verse 28, and the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. And there remained not so much as one of them. God took care of every Egyptian that came after the children of Israel. Now, they crossed over the Red Sea. That's a picture and a type of salvation within itself. They're on the banks of deliverance. And that brings us to chapter 15. The children of Israel, in verse number 1, the Bible said, Then sang Moses. He begins to lead this song. Now, this is not the song of Moses. That's recorded in Deuteronomy chapter number 32. But here, literally, Moses begins to lead the children of Israel in this song. The Bible said in verse 1, And this song unto the Lord and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord. For he hath triumphed gloriously, the horse and his rider hath he thrown in the sea. 
The Lord is my strength. And song, He has become my salvation. He is my God. I will prepare Him a habitation. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. Moses said, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. From verse 1 down through verse number 21, you find the children of Israel making music. I believe they were shouting. I believe they were weeping and crying and thanking God for delivering them from out of Egyptian bondage and from out from under Pharaoh, who was a type of the devil. You talk about a camp meeting. You talk about rejoicing. Why look at verse number six. That part of that song said, Thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. I like part of it in verse number eleven. That when they begin to sing, Who is lacking to thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is lacking to thee glorious in holiness and fearful in praises, doing wonders? All through this song, they magnify the glory of God, the power of God. They give God all the glory, friend. I can see them shouting. They're rejoicing. They're having the time of their life. You remember when God first saved you? You remember when He put that new song into your heart? That even praises unto His name. But you know what? I kind of believe the children of Israel would have been content to have dwelled right there on the banks of deliverance. Now that's where a lot of Baptists are tonight. That's where a lot of saved people are tonight. They're content to dwell where they got in. But now wait a minute. According to Deuteronomy chapter number 6, verse 23, the Bible said He brought us out that He might bring us in. God didn't bring them out of Egypt to leave them on the banks of deliverance, but He brought them out that He might bring them into the land of Canaan. I mean, they're just, when you get saved, that's not the end of it, friend. That's the beginning. Hey, old brother Zeb McDaris, that old mountain preacher said that, he said, children, we're on the little end of something big. When you get saved, friend, you get connected to the family and in the family, and you're starting out on a pilgrimage and a journey that's going to take you to heaven one day. Now stay with me. They're singing, they're shouting. They got so excited in verse number 20. And Miriam, the prophetess, she's the sister of Aaron and Moses, said she took a timbrel in her hand that all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. That There's clapping them timbrels. That, and they were dancing before the Lord. That, and Miriam answered them, Sing ye to the Lord, that, for he hath triumphed gloriously the horse. That, and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. Now they're having a camp meeting. They're having a jubilee. And rightfully so. But you know what happens? Now stay with me. I mean, there's more than a history lesson here. These things were written for our admonition and for our learning. You know what happens? I can see Brother Moses out there. They're singing, they're shouting, and Moses is watching that cloud. And all of a sudden he tells Aaron, he said, Aaron, tell the people the cloud's moving, God's on the move, and God is headed out into the wilderness. They've never been that way before. 
They've never been that way. And God led them three days and three nights. Remember, a million and a half to three million Jews, thousands and hundreds of thousands of cattle and oxen and sheep and asses and all of that. And they're traveling into the wilderness. I can almost hear some of them say, why are we going this way? Why are we having to go out in the wilderness? What's wrong with staying right here? What's wrong with staying right here where God brought us out? Because God's intention was to bring them in. Stay with me now. I can see now as they begin to go out in the wilderness, the Bible said, the Bible said, so Moses brought them. I looked at that word brought one day, and it carries the idea to pull up pit stakes. It means to start out on a journey. It's as though they were content. It's as though they had driven some stakes right there, and they were content to dwell on this side of deliverance. Now, thank God for your salvation. Thank God for being saved by grace. Don't never forget the rock that hewed you out and brought you out. Don't never get over being saved. But that's not the end of the journey. That's the beginning. And you know what? They've only been saved three days. They've only been saved three days. And three days of it was a wilderness journey. I mean three days and three nights. They probably camped out at night. They didn't travel. That next morning Moses said the clouds moving. God's hey, they're in the will of God. You can't argue with that. They're following God's man. They're following God's presence. And they are in the perfect will of God. But I want you to see what God does here. Our Heavenly Father, their their God, the Lord God. The Bible said, brought them three days in the wilderness and found no water. On that three-day journey, they didn't find any water. No water on the first day. No water on the second day. No water on the... They went three days and there was no water. They began to get dry. Begin to get thirsty. I believe they liquidated everything they had. I believe they had taken water with them and they probably had already used every bit of that up. And the Bible said in verse 23, the Scripture said, and when they came tomorrow, you know what I believe? I believe that cloud. I believe God's Shekinah glory. I believe that cloud, pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, it hovered over a place called Mara. Now, they'd never been there before. They didn't even know what the word Mara meant at the time. I can see somebody has to be out front. Somebody has to be leading this procession. And I see them as they came over a hill and looked down there. Somebody said, hey, there's water. There is water. You tell the other people, spread the word through the families. Tell everybody, we found water. We found water. But the word Mara means bitter. The word Mara carries the idea of discontented. Being provoked or chat. And it's God Almighty who brought them there. Are you still with me? That's going to get quiet, rightfully so. When you're eating at a table, you ever notice when the groceries are put out on the table and chicken and the dumplings and the dressing and, that, and everybody goes, to, it gets quiet. So it don't bother me when it, you're quiet like that. I know you're eating, you're musing. You're, I'm telling you, God brought them there. Now, God is going to try your faith. 
Your faith is going to be put to the test, friend. It's not for God to find out what you're going to do. God already knows what you're going to do. But God's going to try your faith. And faith is like film. It develops in the dark places of life. Faith doesn't develop on the mountain. Faith doesn't develop. And thank God, you know me better than this. I love the shouting services. I mean, the gospel preached to Abraham here. When there's as much sawdust in the air as it was on the ground. I love it, friend. But faith is not developed on the mountain. Faith is developed in the dark places, down in the valley. When your back's against the wall, you don't know where to turn. You don't know what to do. That's where your faith will be developed. Divine disturbances of our life are a necessity if our faith is going to grow. Now, I hope this doesn't put a damper on anybody's spirit. But God has predestinated every believer in here to be conformed to the image of Christ. And you know what? The captain of our salvation was made perfect through sufferings. Not through success. The captain of our salvation was made perfect through sufferings. And God's grace will not do for you what it did not do for Christ. God's grace did not exempt our Lord from suffering. And God's grace is not going to exempt you from heartaches and trials and testing. He's not out to hurt you. He's not out to destroy you. But He's out to develop you and make you more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that tears up the health, wealth, and the financial prosperity gospel. You probably will never hear a charismatic. You'll never hear Benny Hinn. You'll never hear Kenneth Copeland. You'll never hear that crowd deal with this kind of preaching right here. I'm going to tell you something. God is out to make us more like Christ. Watchman Nee, I love to read behind him. Brother Tom Hayes, who's as good a Bible student as I know, Brother Tom said, apart from the Bible, the greatest book he ever read was Sit, Sit, Walk, and Stand. Watchman Nee's book on the book of Ephesians. And Watchman Nee was a great Chinese preacher. God used. He died in early 1970. He died. But when, here's what. When he first got saved, he was in the pharmaceutical business. He was making money hand over fist. And he got saved. And he got born again. His family turned against him. His friends turned against him. And he went before God. He began to pray. And as a young Christian, he said, Oh, God, make me, make me to be the best for you. Put your power on me, God. Lord, let me be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me be a vessel unto honor. Use me, Lord. Use me. You know what happened to him? Everything turned upside down. He began to get sick. He began to have physical problems. His family deserted him. His friends turned against him. And with a broken heart, he cried, crawled back before God and cried and said, Lord, I thought I asked for your best. What in the world is going on? And the sweet Holy Ghost spoke to his heart and said, Watchman Nee, this is our best to make you to be the best for God. That's it. That's it. And so you see where we are here. It's not Moses that's leading them. It's God. 
I can hear them screaming. They're hollering back through the ranks. There's water. We found water. Bring the babies. Bring the grandparents. Bring the elderly people. We found water. But little did they know when they got to it that it was bitter. Now, step into the story with me. Step into it with your imagination. I mean, three days and three nights, there's no water. Whoever saw that water first was thirsty. All of them were thirsty. I see somebody run down there and there's the waters of Mara. There is water. There's trees growing around there. I can see somebody cut their hands down and they're probably saying, thank you, God. Oh, what a mighty God we serve. Oh, Lord, you've not failed us. You've not let us down. And then they tried to drink it and they spit it out. I mean, they spit it out. And another one tried to drink it and they spit it out. And you know what it was? It was bitter. And it was God who had led them to a bitter experience in their life. You can't, how are you, how else are you going to interpret this? If I'm wrong, I'll take, I'll take retribution. If you'll help me. God led them here. God brought them. And I can see them trying to drink the waters of Mara. I can see them spit that water out. And they said, stop! Don't come no closer! Don't bring the babies! The water is bitter! We can't drink it. Now watch this. Nobody sung a song. Nobody said, what a mighty God we serve now. Nobody said His right hand has dashed in pieces the enemy. Nobody said there's no God like unto our God. But you know what they did? They failed the first test of their Christian life. And they turned on Moses. Look at your Bible. Verse number 24. And the people murmured against Moses. If you'll read chapter number 16, you know what the Bible said in verse number 8? Moses said, your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. In reality, they were murmuring. Watch this now. They were murmuring against the dealings of God in their life. Now look at me. I don't like bitter experiences. I am not asking God for a bushel load of bitter experiences. But when they come, and they will come, I want to be careful. That I react right. You say, preacher, and I've not always done right. I've, I've failed many of the times. Have you, haven't you? Say, some of you right here tonight, you're at Mara. You're at a bitter place in your life. You're at a place that you're going through some things that you can't understand for the life of you. You, you're trying to live for God, pay your tithes, support missions, and, and some of your children have gone haywire, your grandchildren are breaking your heart. I could tell you story after story after story after story. I hear it everywhere I go. And, and people sometimes ask me, they say, Brother Buster, why? I don't have all this. I don't have all this. Do you? Hey, it's awful easy to get up and quote Romans 8.28. It's awful easy to get up and say, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to His purpose. I know that. It's the Word of God. I know that. Sometimes that's easy preaching and hard living. A dear preacher friend of mine, his name was mentioned to me outside. He's elder. He's an elderly, retired preacher. I, Brother Brown, you know him. I was preaching a revival meeting for him several times. He said, would you go with me, Brother Buster, to visit my son and my daughter 
He said, both of them are out of church. He said, I raised them in church. They sung in church. My boy was a deacon in church. He said, will you go with me to visit them? I said, I'll be glad to, sir. He and I went, and we went first to his son's business establishment. He said, now what you're going to see, you're not going to like. He said, there's going to be beer on the shelves. He said, there's going to be tip boards and parlay boards there. And I said, don't worry, sir. All I want to do is witness to him and talk to him and try to tell him God loves him. Try to get him to come to the meeting. We went in there and he avoided us. I mean, he, he was embarrassed that we come in. And when we left, that old man of God, wrinkles in his face, tears coursed down his cheeks. He said, I don't understand why. I don't understand why. We went to see his daughter. His daughter was in such severe depression. When we got there, we knocked on the door. And she said, Daddy, go away. That meant talking to her daddy. She said, Daddy, go away! Take the preacher and go away! I don't want to see you. I don't want to see you. We got back in the car. And that white-headed man of God, tears running down his face. You know where he was at? He was at Mara. He was at Amara. Mara. Mara. You say, preacher, why does God allow certain things? I want to say, number one, the ministry of Mara, to me, simply is a ministry of no current interpretation. I mean, sometimes there's just no answer. And you know what? Right here in this Bible, Moses didn't have an answer. Aaron didn't have an answer. I mean, they're looking up. There's the cloud. There's the presence of God. They're in the will of God. And they don't understand. Have you ever been there? You know what the devil will try to do to you right there? He'll try to shipwreck your faith. He'll tell you, he'll back you up in a corner and say, God's not fair. God's not good to you. God, you deserve better than this. Why is God letting this happen to you? He'll bring railing accusations against God to your mind. Some of you have not lived long enough yet to really understand what I'm talking about. Your Christian life can turn upside down in 24 hours. The bottom can fall out. You can come to a place like Mara. No current interpretation. I call it the marvel of Mara. Nobody has an answer. Oh, I'm sure some of you, you know, you could pop off and give answers about anything. I could too. First three years of my ministry. I mean, you know, I got a hold of uh, the first book I ever read after I got saved beside the Bible was Arthur W. Pink's book on the sovereignty of God. It's a miracle. I didn't lose my mind. I mean, I read that book. I got a hold of Clarence Larkin's dispensational book of truth I read it. I read and read and read and read. And I tell you, in three years, I could answer any question. But the further I go, the less I know. And the more I just got to say, I like Brother Roloff used to say, the Lord is too good to do wrong. He's too wise to make any mistake. I really didn't appreciate that when I heard him say that years ago. But it's true. It's true. Now, don't go out of here and say Brother Buster is saying that God brings sin into the life of the believer. James 1 said, Let no man say when he's tempted, he's tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. God never does tempt us with evil. No, no. But he brought them tomorrow. He brought them to Mars. I believe He'll bring every pastor to a Mars. 
I believe he'll bring every missionary to Amara. I believe he'll bring every evangelist to Amara. I believe he brings every Christian to Amara. No current interpretation. Just recently in Knoxville, I dealt with this family. Their friends, they, they were members of my dad's church. And this past year, the, the Julie, her name was Julie Cooper. She had been battling cancer, cancer for three years. She's 28, she was 28 years old. And their son Hayden was five at the time. And her husband is named Jimmy. And when they were having school orientation, she didn't get to go. He was entering kindergarten. And I saw Jimmy Cooper, the, the husband, outside the church, outside the school building, down on his knees, huddled down, and his hands like this and tears running out of his face. I parked my car, went over there, and put my hands around him and hugged him. He said, Brother Buster, he said, I don't understand. He said, he said she'd love to have been here to see seen Hayden enter into kindergarten. He said, I don't understand. And just a few weeks ago, we buried her. She fought cancer. She fought it and fought it. Died at 29 years old. She died the day before Hayden's sixth birthday. They asked me, they said, Preacher, what do you think we ought to do? We've got a birthday party planned on Saturday. She died Friday. I said, go ahead and have it. Go ahead and have it. Just go ahead and, take, just go ahead and have the party. It was hard. You know what it was? It was a morrow. You ever lost a wife? You ever lost a son? You ever lost a husband? You ever lost a mom or a dad? Have you ever lost any any babies? Any of you moms? Any, don't raise your hand. Any mother ever lost a baby? My sister-in-law, my brother Jim, and thank you, Brother Brown. I meant to say this earlier. In 1981, I called Brother Larry. 1991, excuse me. 91, I said, Brother Larry, he invited me to come and preach on Thursday night. Brother John Rickenbacker had me to come and preach on Wednesday. I said, Brother Larry, I'm bringing my brother. And I said, he looks like anything but a Christian. He couldn't have got all of his hair under a bushel basket and a big old thick woolly beard. And I said, I'm bringing him. And would he be welcome? Brother Brown said, hey, what do you think we're running over here? He said, this is a hospital. This is a hospital. And when I brought my brother to the church, they stood up and gave him a standing ovation for being a first-time visitor. That's on Thursday night. He drove me home Friday morning. We drove all night long. I gave him a hundred dollar bill for driving me. On Friday night, about 11.30, he pulled up in my front yard. Headlights blazing through the picture window. He come running through the yard with his hands up. I thought, my God, he shot somebody. There's been a knife fight, a gun fight. He busted through the door and he was screaming, I've gone as far as I can go. Gone as far as I can go. He got saved. You know what tonight? To God be the glory. He's pastoring. He's pastoring the church. Tonight, He is my pastor. My brother is my pastor. And this church welcomed Him. Welcomed Him with open arms. But just two years ago now, a year and a half ago, He and Amanda, my sister-in-law, were expecting their third child. They already had a name. They knew it was a boy. Going to be a boy. And they had a name picked up. Micah. Micah. She went to the doctor about four, four and a half months, almost five into pregnancy, and the doctor said, I can't get a heartbeat. He said, the baby's dead. He said, I want to do a DNC immediately. And my, my sister-in-law recalled from that. She said, no. No, maybe there's a chance if the baby's still alive. The doctor said, if you go home, your body will go through a natural aborting process. 
You'll have labor pains. You'll give birth to a dead fetus. See, they don't call it a baby. They call it a fetus. But it's a baby. My wife was there. My wife delivered the child. That was a little boy. I come in from revival meeting. My sister-in-law, you can imagine, she was weeping and crying. My wife had cleaned her up and the baby up. She had the baby in a quart jar of distilled water. My brother had come home and Brother Jim was in there. He fell on me crying and weeping. You're talking about Mara, a bitter, bitter experience. Oh, you say, preacher, man, tell him to get over it. Just tell him to get over it. Hey, it hurts. It hurts. Some of you right now are at a place of no current interpretation. May I just quickly say this and I want to hurry. I closed out last night real early. And I promise you I won't be long tonight. But I believe this is neat. I believe somebody's here tonight hurting. I believe somebody's here tonight is somebody's at Mara. And you know what Mara will do to you? The ministry of Mara is a ministry of inter-revealing. I believe it's those people tried to drink that water and spit it out. When the water got still again, they might have looked down in it. Have you ever looked at a pool of water and seen your own reflection? The Bible said in the book of Proverbs, as in water, face answereth the face. I can see them look down into Mara. And when you come to Mara, friend, you know what you're going to find? An inner revealing. You're going to find out who you really, really are. I will say this, and I, and I'm, I mean, I'm not trying to, it's easy to shout on the mountain. It's easy to bless the Lord when all is well. The children are living for God. Everything's doing good. But down in that valley, down when you're looking at Mara, and it's a bitter, bitter spot. That's where real Christianity is developed. You see, Mara will do one of two things. It'll either make you a better Christian, or it'll make you a bitter Christian. And I've, I've found a lot of people get bitter at Mara. They've gotten bitter. Some have not left church yet, but they're bitter. Did you know it's possible to get disappointed at deity? You know, John 16, verse 1, I read this verse again to make sure it was right. Jesus said these things, uh, Have I spoken unto you that you might not be offended in me? He knew they were going to get offended. Have you ever been offended in the Lord? I didn't expect too many amens there. But it hadn't turned out like you thought it was going to turn out. And in the quietness of your heart, you said, why God? Why God? It's a ministry of inner revealing. That's the mirror ministry of Mara. We see who we really, really are when you get there. A lot of people quit. A lot of people throw in the towel. I was told something yesterday about a precious lady that was singing in this choir who just went through a tragedy and yet she was singing like an angel to me to the glory of God. I said, there's a display of the grace of God. I was coming out of a revival meeting here a while back and somebody gave me some tapes of Brother Vance Haven. I love to read. I've tried to read every book he's ever wrote. I love to read behind him. And I've got several of his preaching tapes. In one of those tapes, he told this story. True story. Before ultrasound, before sonograms and all of that, back there years ago, there was a young couple, a dad and a mother, saved, living for God, 
expecting their first child. And uh, the baby was healthy as far as the heart beat. The baby was turned right. The, the doctor said everything's fine. And when the baby was birthed, the dads couldn't go back there then. The daddy was in the waiting room, just a young man. When the baby was birthed, the doctor cut the cord, wrapped the baby up, and immediately took it out of the room. He called the daddy from the waiting room and said, come in. He said, you've got a healthy boy. He weighs X amount of pounds and so many ounces. And he's so many inches long. And the dad said, so good. But the doctor said, I need to show you one thing. When he unwrapped the baby, he said, I want you to see. And the doctor was a wise doctor. He said, God has blessed you with a special child. The baby was a mongoloid child. And, that, and at first, dad just almost collapsed, the young dad. The doctor said, now son, we've got to go in there. Your wife is wondering where the baby's at. She's already crying. Bring me my baby. Is something wrong? Something wrong. He said, son, we've got to go in there. He said, you've got to be strong. They walked in there and had the baby covered up and the dad was carrying it. The mother was laying there and she said, is there anything wrong? Give me my baby. Give me my baby. And the dad said, honey, she broke out into tears. But Dr. Vance Havener said, you know what happened? Maternal instinct took over. And she said, give me my baby. Give me my baby. She took that child, planted kisses on it, began to love on it. And she said, Lord, thank you. Thank you for a special child. A special child. I'm going to show you something. What I see about the ministry of Mara, they've backed off from it now. Do you see it? They've backed away. They're murmuring at Moses. I, I mean, they turned on Moses. They're blaming Moses for bringing them out there. And you know what Moses does? The Bible said in verse 25, And he cried unto the Lord. The ministry of Marah ought to be the ministry of intercession. This is the molding of Marah. When you come to Marah, don't quit on God. Don't throw in the towel. Don't blame God. Don't find fault. But get on your knees somewhere and begin to intercede and pray. And call on God and let God help. I can almost see Moses with tears in his eyes. He said, Lord, I know that's your presence. I know that you, you brought us here. Lord, what, what can I do? Lord, what should we do? And I like this. The Bible said, and he cried unto the Lord in verse 25. He could have cowed down and called it quits. He could have said, let's turn back. We took him the wrong path. But he cried unto the Lord. And the Lord showed him a thing. I mean... Moses is saying, God, I've got a million and a half to three million out here. And, and oh God, it's been three days and three nights. There's no water. And what we found, we can't drink. Uh, Lord, what should I do? He said, Moses, I want to show you a tree. A tree. I believe there was many trees around Mara. Trees usually grow where there's water. But God said, I'm going to show you a particular tree. This don't even make sense. This does not make a lick of sense. And faith does it sometimes. And the Bible said, <laughs> the Scriptures said, and the people murmured against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? He cried, and the Lord, the Lord showed him a tree. Which? When? That's the way your Bible's worded. Which? When? It didn't happen until he did this. When he had cast into the waters, the waters were made 
I see Moses. I don't know if the tree was standing upright or laying down. I preferably believe it was standing upright. I believe Moses went over there and God, reading between the lines, God said, I'm showing you a tree. What you'll do is to cut it down. And, and Moses said, you want me to cut it down? Yes. What you want me to do then? God pick it up. God said, and just chunk it, throw it, cast it, pitch it out into the waters. That don't make a lick of sense, friend. They're already bitter. I mean, he cuts the tree down. I see him by himself. Nobody else in the Scriptures involved. I see Moses take that tree. There's limbs on it. There's bark on it. And he throws that thing out into the water. And maybe mud comes up. Dirt comes up. And if some of the elders and if some of his deacons were watching, they said, our preacher hadn't taken his medicine this morning. Look at him. He's so mad at God. He's throwing a fit. Throw that thing out in the water. I see Moses. I see Moses get over there, and they're all watching him. And I believe old Moses took his container. He got down, and he got, they said, what? Does he not believe us? Does he think we're a lion when he said it was bitter? And Moses sees that tree floating out there. He takes that container, takes it to his lips. said he didn't spit it out. He didn't spit it out. And Moses goes down for another dip. I see one of them venture down there. One of them on the committee. One of them on the committee that watches the committee. He took his finger. He put it down in the water more. He said, I tried that while ago, but it was bitter. I don't... And he goes... His eyes look like a slot machine at a casino. Seven, seven, seven. I mean, he said, My Lord, my God. And I see him go down again. And I believe he got him a belly full. I believe he was getting, I believe he stuck his head under the water. And he is going, blah, 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 blah. And he come up and he said, Oh, it's sweet. It's sweet. There's been a miracle take place. Find the children. Find the grandparents. God has turned the bitter waters of Mara. God can take a bitter experience if you run to the tree. You know what that tree symbolizes. That tree couldn't stand for no other tree but the tree called Calvary. I see them down there. The thing they backed away from. I mean, they've got babies baptized them, getting them dressed. And I mean the elderly ones are out there and the younger ones. And now they're splashing in it and drinking in it. The very thing they backed up from. They're right in the middle of it. And knowing them, like Baptists, they probably would sing it again. What a mighty God we serve. Praise God. No God like another God. Just like us. They're having a time. They're having a time. But the ministry of Mara is something else, and I can't take time to deal with this. It's the ministry of instruction. That's the whole mission. The Bible said in verse 26, The Lord said, If thou wilt hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, do that which is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments, keep his statutes. I put none of these diseases upon thee which I brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord God that healeth thee. Jehovah Rophi. Jehovah Rophi. 
What he's trying to get him to see is the instruction of this whole thing is, I can handle Mara. I want you to know right off the bat, three days after your salvation, that I can handle Mara, the bitter waters, that I can handle the valleys, that I can handle the trials, the testings. You'll just trust me. You see, the ministry of intervention, and that's the miracle. Oh, they're in there. I, I had this all outlined. I tear my outlines up and I get to preaching. I can't stay with these things. Homiletically, I failed it. I failed the grade tonight. But I tell you, they're in that waters of Mara now. They're dr- and it was sweet. I, I looked at and I studied on that word sweet. You know, I don't believe there's ever any water like that since the Garden of Eden. And probably won't be none like it until the millennial reign of Christ. I can hear them say there can't be anything better than Mara. Oh, we, man, we thought the deliverance was good. We thought the banks of the Red Sea, but there can't be anything better than this. And all of a sudden, Brother Moses is out there. He's looking at the cloud. Watching the cloud. The cloud's beginning to move. Moses said, Aaron, tell the people God's moving again. And tell the people we've got to follow God. God's moving further out into the wilderness. I can hear some of them say, do what? You mean, you mean we've got to leave Mara? We've got to leave here? That can't be anything better than this. Little did they know. So, they begin, I believe they filled up every container. I believe they drank to the belly for about to burst. They said it was three days and three nights the last time. We're going to get all we can hold right now. I'm going to tell you what. You better get all you can hold in a meeting like this. You, you, you better soak it in, drink it in, and get you the tapes. And get all you, it, it may be a dry spell. But you know what? Here is the miracle of Mar. Now, what if they'd have bogged down in bitterness? What if they'd have mired up at Mar and said, Moses, we're through. We're not going any further. I don't care about your tree in the water. I don't care about them. I ain't going no further. But you know what they did? The Bible said in verse 27, and I'm through. The scripture said, and they came to Elam. Now, this don't mean a lot to you unless you can, you can see it now. They tell me it was just right across the hill. It's across that mountain. But really, it, God didn't take them across the mountain. Someone who studies this and knows all this told me it was 75 miles around that mountain. Seventy-five miles approximately around that mountain. In other words, it's right around the corner. <laughs> Just right around the corner. There was a place called Elam. You say, I don't catch it. I don't see it. Well, the word Elam comes from a root word they tell me that means the mighty one. Or the place of strength. You see, Mara, God displayed his grace to turn a bitter experience into sweet. But Elam, God showed his sufficient grace. Because the Bible said they came to Elam. I see him following that cloud, following that cloud, following that cloud, and all of a sudden that cloud stopped. Covered that there. Some of those men that are out front climbed over the hill, climbed over the rocks, looked down in there, and you know what they saw? Twelve wells. Counted them. Twelve wells. And they counted 70 palm trees. I believe they rubbed their eyes and thought it was a mirage. And they, that looked like a city in the wilderness, friend. I can see them screaming back. 
telling the others, telling the others, telling the others, getting the word back. Hey, keep on a coming, keep on a coming. Hey, there's something better than Mara, there's something better than Sweetwaters. We found a city out here. There's twelve wells and seventy palm trees. I mean, there was one for every tribe. Nobody had to stand in line to get a drink. Palm trees speak of victory. Palm trees were a place of shade and refreshment. And the Bible said, and they encamped there by the waters. I know this is not the end of the journey for the children of Israel, but one of these days for the church of the living God, we're going to come through our last mark. We're going to go around the next curve. And there's going to be Elon, the city of God, four square, hey, twelve gates, for it the east, west, north, and south, and a river of water proceeding out of the throne of God. Thank God, children. Hey, I just say, let's keep it going on, friend. Don't mire up at Mara. Don't bog down in bitterness. Elon is just around the corner.